0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. On this episode is top fuel driver Josh Hart and Ace Nitro crew chief Dale Worsham. And it's Tripp Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. We're talking top fuel, we're talking funny car, we're looking forward to Chicago and taking one last peek at Charlotte. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car. Going through the finish line stripe, Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a by a day and a half. Both Manson Heinz bikes are out, and it is crazy town in Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey everybody, it's Brian Loans here with the NHRA Insider Podcast. We are coming off of the four-wide Circle K, four-wide Nationals, I should say, in Charlotte at ZMAX Dragway. The second and final four-wide race of the season. That is a giant relief to some, maybe a disappointment to others. Um, from the announcing side of things, I, I am um, excited to go back to traditional two-wide racing. And we're going to talk about Charlotte and all the excitement we've had over these last two uh, four-wide races. You can't argue with that. The one thing you cannot argue with on the four wide side of things is that it throws an industrial size monkey wrench in the works of people's normal process. We've had controversies. We've had conversations. We've had a lot to talk about over these last two races, and we really come out of Charlotte with more stuff to talk about as well. We come out of charlotte with the conversation about austin proc and his top fuel team and and chris cunningham um uh, getting that win and working with joe barlam on the montana brands rocky mountain twist car and austin being you know really on the money um austin double bulbing his fellow three competitors in the final round uh tony schumacher double bulbing the two guys he was racing in the first round you know there was a lot of stuff that happened up there and it tends to happen in this style of racing where people do try to gain an advantage and um it's something else. I, I thought that we would not necessarily see anybody time out, not necessarily ever again, but I didn't think we'd see anybody time out in 2023. And then we get to the first round of Pro Stock Motorcycle and John Hall gets timed out. Gian Evaristo was, was next to him and either looking at his side of the tree or somewhere else. She didn't even see her side of the tree flash, so she sat there. Steve Johnson had a one second reaction time. Joey Gladstone left kind of on time gladstone and johnson advance and there was a very heated moment at the starting line um as people tried to sort out what happened there were some people that said oh there was a problem with the tree there, there wasn't a problem with the tree we went back and showed multiple replays and stuff there was a problem with hall staging on time which he admitted right on the spot he said i, I timed out and that uh that threw the rest of his competitors for a uh, for a loop so to say that we um to say that some competitors are really happy that we're done with four wide racing this year would probably be the understatement of the decade. Our two guests on this show will be Josh Hart, driver of the RL Carriers TechNet Top Fuel Dragster, and Del Worsham, who of course is the lead crew chief working with Nikki Bonifani on Alexis DeJore's GR Supra, sponsored by Bendero Premium Tequila. And this is a car that is absolutely awesome. These guys are second in the points. They have been going rounds at every single race. They won the very first Too Fast, Too Tasty challenge of the season. And uh, they continued their performance streak, if you will, uh, over the course of Charlotte. I want to talk to Dell about that, um, why Charlotte was so fast. The obvious answer is we didn't have a lot of sunlight. But was there anything else that aided in what we saw a funny car field look to me more like a traditional funny car field than we'd seen for most of this year? You know, we've looked at how people have won funny car races in 2023, and it's been a lot of 390s, which is fine, but this was finally a 380s race, and the teams that were able to take advantage of those conditions uh, certainly did it. For Josh Hart, we're going to touch on Vegas. I mean, we've we've played the Vegas thing out to death, but I do want to touch on it with him, but I'm more interested in speaking to Josh about all the other stuff going on around there. His performance in Charlotte was very, very strong as a driver. The car was very strong, the strongest we've seen in five races. You know, they won the Pep Boys call out to start the year and then kind of fell on hard times for the next several races, running first round losses. The first three last two, they've been in that final quad. So I want to talk about how that car has come around. What else do we leave Charlotte thinking about or talking about or wondering about? And, you know, I don't know if there's a lot of wondering about Gage Herrera. Uh, There's a lot of wonder about Gage Herrera because of how he has performed, what he has done, his demeanor in doing it. This guy is not cocky. This guy is not timid. This guy is, as matter of fact, as somebody like Dallas Glenn. I compare those two in a way because both of them are very mechanical. Both of them could do anything they needed to do on their own motorcycles or cars end-to-end, and they have an expectation of performance of themselves that is to win. And it's not the flash and dash, you know, strut around cocky. It is just they are there to win the race. And I think that is a, a very badass type of thing. And, and Gage Herrera, two races with Vance and Hines, two wins. These were not back into it, slip and slide. Maybe I can win. Maybe I can't win. This was, um, you know, I use the analogy that he ran a railroad spike through them all uh, again uh, in Charlotte because he did. I mean, this was just hammer and tongue, end-to-end, a Gage Herrera performance fest. Um, Derek Kramer getting the win, first win since 2019 for Derek. Michael Heiner, Dave Kramer, um, Adam, the entire team, Chris that worked on that car, have worked for years to try to get back to where they needed to be, and, and it was a it was a problem they corrected at the end of last year. We saw that car make a turn for the strong in the last couple of races, and to see them actually win and do so again in convincing fashion where Derek is a great driver and Derek stepped up to the plate to do his job. Michael Heiner, who leads the team on the mechanical side, um, turned the knobs correctly, made the adjustments correctly. The suspension was on point. Motor's making power. So Derek Kramer, congratulations uh, on that on that win as well. And then a nitro funny car. We, we had wondered for a couple races, where did Robert Height go? And he didn't go far because Robert Height was very, very much Robert Height. In the final round and all the ensuing rounds uh, or previous rounds, I should say, in Charlotte, you know, that reaction time in the 50s, which was not a very deep stage reaction time. We can look at his 60 foot time as an indicator there. He was in his normal depth and still crushed the tree and got the job done. And again, this is a team that replaced some people over the over the off season. This is a team that, you know, was was working through some stuff and they obviously worked through the right side of it. Chicago is going to be the next race. Next week's show will be a Chicago pre-race show. Um, certainly looking forward to getting back to that venue. It's a gorgeous place. Going to look, It's going to look different. It's going to look the same, but it's going to look different when we get there, and, and you will see what we mean when we get there. But to say that NHRA stepped up to put on a really good event uh, for the fans in Chicago is an understatement. If you've not got your tickets, you go to NHRA.com. You get them. It's going to be a busy weekend. It's going to be a very full weekend of action. Pro Stock Callout is coming at this event. I believe we have Too Fast, Too Tasty there as well. So, And then we have all the categories. And we had that long layoff with the bikes from Gainesville into uh, Charlotte. So now they're kind of back on the tour, and we're going to see them with a lot more frequency. Which is, again, going to help build those storylines. When does Matt Smith reemerge? When does Gage Herrera step on a banana peel? Does he ever? Eddie Krawick's bike is very fast right now. You have Joey Gladstone, who is a competitive motorcycle. I mean, we go right down the list. Angie Smith had some some mechanical problems. Steve Johnson, again, in a final quad with a fast motorcycle. So those are all storylines are going to be following. The Pro Modified category will be off the charts in Chicago as well with that staging bounty that will be put into effect. Uh, my dogs love it, as you can hear. Here in the background, it's all coming up roses. So that's the lead-in to our first guest, Josh Hart. We have a lot to talk about with Josh, even more to talk about with Dell, and it's just going to be exciting to delve into all of it. So when we come back on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, it'll be Josh Hart, driver of the RNL Carriers Technet Top Fueler. Stay with us. Welcome back to the NHRA Insider Podcast. We are here now with our first guest driver, the RNL Carriers Technet Top Fuel Dragster. Josh Hart, how are you doing, Josh?
1: Excellent, sir. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Well, thanks for taking the time to do this. I know that you're a, a very busy guy on a day-to-day basis. And I think the first place I want to start this conversation with is the fact that your car really over the last couple of races has come into its own. You know, we looked at the conditions that were available in Charlotte, and we were expecting to see, you know, top-tier cars in the 60s, and your car was one of them that got there. So... Talk to me a little bit about these last couple of races and maybe, um, not necessarily how the fortunes have turned, but really how the performance has picked up.
1: Well, you know, like in Gainesville, we, we definitely had the winning car and the driver just wasn't, wasn't on point. Um, we we thought that was that was in the bag as far as the car tune up goes, sure. and then we go we go to the next race and get <laughs> down the track. So uh, you know, Ron and I said, okay, one of these days we're both going to get on the same page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> you know, the car uh, picked up a little bit in Pomona, and we felt like okay, it wasn't the performance that we needed, but we got our car back. You know, we we were going A to B, and then um, you know, Vegas, same thing. We driver was not on point i was i was battling a a personal neck injury and um the car was was perfect and i wasn't so and then moving into uh into charlotte we just seem to start dealing together again so i was very very proud of the team and and the car definitely is going the right direction
0: well yeah and, and we talk about you know you're putting some of this the the onus of some of this on you but i look i look at your performance in charlotte 55 on the tree in the first round 49 in the second round and then 34 in the final so you know if 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 anything if anything what was the result or why did that kind of come together for you Uh, After let's say four or five races why was this maybe the place that we saw the josh hart we've maybe expected to see all season
1: yeah you know i i don't want to make a bunch of excuses but the the bottom line is i i can see better in this car so um that sounds like a good thing but the truth is last year's car i was leaned back a little bit too much okay so i i thought i kind of got into my rhythm last year this year i can see better so it's like you're constantly in the back of your mind saying i don't want to go too deep uh-huh. i don't want to go too shallow but i i feel like in in vegas um i was all over the board and then i just had to focus so even in you know qualifying i was i was really focused on just trying to make sure i was staging properly and it worked out great.
0: You know, this was uh, an interesting thing to watch kind of come to fruition because, as you said, in Gainesville, you come out and, and literally the first, you know, kind of competitive day of the season, you guys win the pet Boys call-out, and it's like, okay, here they come. <laughs> and, yeah. and I guess the question is, the josh hart that now has a couple of years experience under his belt probably dealt with those adverse couple of races better than the first season of josh hart might have right i mean is there a better is there a better degree of perspective for you now than maybe you would have had three or four years ago
1: oh 100 percent. i'm not nearly as thin-skinned as i was when i first hit the circuit um when i was just trying to have fun i mean i understand it's business yeah. I, I get it you know and and uh you know, I know we didn't want to touch a whole lot on the staging thing, but had someone told me that my procedure was a little bit slower, I would have gladly sped it up. I didn't
0: even know. And um, why so. is that? And, and listen, just to delve into that a little bit is... is how come? In terms of how come you should be expected to change anything you do? In that, you know, I use the analogy sometimes about baseball, where if a guy is not good at hitting curveballs, why in the hell would the pitcher then say, you know what, I'm not going to throw this guy any curveballs? So that's my question to you <laughs> on, a, on a personal level. Why is that important to you to to maybe, uh, if not, I don't know, why is it important for you to change anything you're doing?
1: Well, you know, I understand their complaint. You know, I understand what what everybody's going through on the starting line. What they don't understand is that, you know, that that was still like my second season. And I don't want to overplay that card. My second full time season. It's like I I'm being treated like a veteran, which I guess is good because maybe they expect more from (laughs) me. Right. You know, so, so I guess that's a compliment in a way. But and then there's the other side of it, which which you're right. Why should I tee up a wind light for a more popular driver?
0: Yeah, I mean, if if somebody but, came up to Connie Coletta in, in 1972 and said, hey, man, could you speed it up a little bit? I think that guy would be picking his teeth up from out of his thorax. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, you know, the the bottom line is we, we see each other every weekend. Yeah, it's the same people. So you don't want a bunch of enemies out here. You don't need to be friends, but, you know, you you want to be. Uh, courteous and and you know that that's me anyway so um, yeah. when when we all talked you know after that event in Vegas we we just said hey if you can let's do it you know. Yeah. So that's that's what I did and it worked out great for me.
0: Well, listen, it, it clearly did. I mean, you found a you found a really perfect spot on the tree all weekend long out there and and it uh, you know, if anything else they might have they might have corrected themselves into a bad position here because <laughs> whatever was going on, you you edited and it and it got uh it got really strong. Um, you know, in that final Quad in Vegas, obviously Steve was very early to leave. You were in lane 1, he was in lane 3. Was any of that 34 light a little bit of you heard noise and left? And you've been so consistent. I'm not saying that's the only reason it happened. But was that 34 light, maybe would it have been a 50 if you didn't hear somebody almost two-tenths of a second early leave?
1: I'm going to say no, just because okay. I saw his red light come on. Um, so I was I was still there, and okay. I was still waiting. You know, Austin, when he, when he double-bulbed, you know, running right in like that, it, it sets the timer. So everybody was antsy, and everybody picks up the pace. Yep and and that stuff doesn't phase me so um again back to vegas i can't believe that that stuff phased them yeah (laughs) you know but uh it is what it is you know so no i i was i was constantly trying to uh better my light and i was probably in a little bit too deep is why you know the 34 light
0: I got you. No, then then, then that makes sense because again, you were, it's not like you were sitting next to him. And and honestly, I was impressed with that, that Austin didn't go red being the car that was sitting right next to Steve. When he went, I think there's a lot of people that would have been, you know, kind of drawn off sides in terms to use a, you know, to use a different term to explain it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a confusing situation. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in the four wide. So I don't prefer that format. Um, I think it's cool for the fans, you know, to see it and and feel it. It's surely louder. But uh, uh, I definitely prefer uh, heads up side by side, just just two down the lane.
0: And listen, I think for me personally, I think, uh, you know, getting the two of them back to back, kind of having that lump of these two races and then moving back into our traditional format, I think is good. We used to have that four wide. Then we go to a two wide and go back to the four wide race, which almost made it feel like a month of four wide races. And I'll take a couple of them in a row and then we can kind of settle into maybe what we do best
1: amen brother
0: yeah (laughs) and so in that vein when we talk about you know going to Chicago is going to be the next stop on the tour and and that's going to be a really exciting race we haven't been there in a few years what if any adjustments do you make to go back to the two wide format I mean it seems to me like changing anything at this point would be uh would be a, a dumb idea for you and and even the team
1: yeah 100% I'm going to go up there just run my own race um you know focus on the tree and uh You know, Chicago is exciting for me. I always used to call that place the Gladiator Stadium when I was running my (laughs) A-fuel car, because it's like a big bowl, you know. Yeah. Um, And uh, I I wanted that one really bad, so we'll see what we we can make happen here. You know, Ron's got the car on point. The team was giving me a great car all weekend, so... As long as the driver can do his job, I bet we'll have some good results.
0: You know, we had a uh, pit camera in your pit area this weekend, and we would kind of dip into it uh, coming to and from breaks and between rounds, that type of thing. And the the one overriding thing I kept coming back to watching your team work was just, as weird as it is to use this word, there was a serenity in that pit area that I'm not sure. We often see, you know, professional teams doing their work in a professional manner, but there was nothing but calm and that every time we went to the pit camera it's like hey somebody go poke these guys in the side
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, i i mean god is good we we uh we all have a good gelling uh i don't know charisma um about about our team and and everybody gets along and everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing and uh we don't we don't have very many things that interrupt our symphony so
0: yeah, no, it's uh, it's looked that way and and even when even when things were not going in your favor the first couple of races, we never saw, you know, we never saw anybody down there finger pointing or finger wagging or running around like a chicken with their head cut off and I guess in the long haul of what a 20 plus race season is, that really becomes a defining characteristic I'd have to imagine especially when we get into the back half of it when the pressure really mounts. <laughs> well, Ron
1: Douglas and I made a deal. The first race, I mean Gainesville, when we won the first race, we made a deal with each other. You don't get to yell at me, and I don't get to yell <laughs> at you. We both know when we mess up, and uh, we 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 held true to that. So, um, you
0: know, the but honeymoon's the, over. The conversations still happen, though, right? I mean, the converse, those conversations <laughs> still have to happen, but just in a in a gentlemanly way, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when I when I was in the uh, final in Norwalk last year. That was the first time that I saw Ron, you know, he's like, listen, if you're going to drive it back to the pits, we're not going to have any stuff left, (laughs) you know, like you need to take your foot off the gas. And that was the first time that I actually saw a little, uh, little real raw taste of Ron Douglas. He's like, we're running out of stuff.
0: Stop it. (laughs) You Uh, know, it's interesting because... You know, I'd have to what is the difference in general terms? What is the difference in terms of running Bernie's Speed Shop as the business that it is and then a top fuel drag racing team, the business that it is? The fundamentals of a business have to remain the same. But what are some of the things that you have to do either like differently from a business approach on on a racing team as you do in a more traditional, you know, more traditional business?
1: Well, you know, we run it very similar. Um, there are managers and, and people in place that handle certain divisions of each aspect of the business, and um, at Bernie's, you know, you've got trailers, cars, and service, and there's a manager for every division. I don't micromanage, yep. and with the race team, you've got accounting, logistics, and the car, you know, so yeah. it's uh, it's very much the same for me Um you know, the cash requirements are obviously very lopsided, <laughs> <laughs> right? right. But, but you know, it's what you signed up for. Yeah. So, um, it's, uh, it's been very, very beneficial. And one thing that I, I definitely don't do is I don't cross over. Okay. So, you know, the Bernie's team is the Bernie's team. The fearless team is the fearless team. So, um, and it's worked out very good for us.
0: No, it really has. I mean, when we look at we look at the way that the team is structured and, and what it is set up to do and what it has shown the ability to do, it certainly seems like the right approach. Um, speaking of the right approaches, uh, your daughter Helen uh, had the right approach in the tricycle race this weekend, taking on and, uh, frankly, destroying all comers in that contest. How much preparation went into that?
1: So uh, we couldn't actually get our hands on the tricycle until <laughs> Saturday morning. Um, So there wasn't a whole lot of actual practice, but um, her and I are are cut from the same cloth. We had a good talk, and I said, don't look at the crowd. Don't look at anybody. (laughs) I said, when I say go, you pedal to mommy as fast as possible. And she looked at me, and she goes, deal, dude
0: nice yeah i so was i was wondering so if any of these teams got a hold of the tricycles and maybe machine the bearings down a little bit or you know put a little graphite uh little graphite lube on the bearings but no so these were <laughs> these were spec trikes is what you're telling me
1: yeah we were all thinking the same thing i i was one on the graphite side um <laughs> it was it was very well orchestrated by natalie torrance and and she released the bikes at the same time to everybody so um pretty cool program that she's created here you know everybody talks about how their daughter or their son was in juniors i can say mine was in a baby walker and then she was in a tricycle so
0: (laughs) and she was on the national stage so here we go it is great and uh you know ultimately what was her impression of the whole experience
1: Oh, she, she loves it. She absolutely loves it. She, you know, I text pictures to uh, Brittany Force cause she loves Brittany Force. Okay. Um, yeah. And like John Force gave her a banana at the, at the Gator Nationals <laughs> and she just, she just lights up when she sees him, you know, so even in the staging lanes and, uh, you know, they, they've set a cool example, you know, John Force has withstood the test of time, Yeah. you know? And I mean, geez, man, it's an endurance race. You think about pumping that kind of money into this operation yeah. for that many years i mean that's uh that's super commendable so
0: no it is uh, it's an amazing thing i was just glad that she was able to avoid uh james alexander uh you know i spoke to blake uh james alexander hit a, hit every cone he hit every cone <laughs> helen was helen was able to outrun him though so that was that was good
1: <laughs> no we, we got a lot of respect for everybody out yeah. there so it's it's a cool program
0: When we look at what's coming, whether it's Chicago, whether it's when the temperatures really start to come up in the mid-summer months, um, we haven't necessarily seen those types of races. We saw a little bit of track temperature, I guess, out in Vegas, but do you feel as though your team is going to be okay when we get to those maybe unfamiliar races? We know that the team's great on a cool racetrack. We saw that in Charlotte. Weather for... Chicago right now looks like it's going to be temperate and cool, but those hot weather races to me tend to make or break a season for a lot of teams
1: and i I would say we're more confident on the hot side, okay, you know I think our car is a Florida girl, so um, we like it hot like that, so I think it kind of levels the playing field, but we now have our great car in the cold weather as well, so very versatile and um, I think we're definitely on point.
0: We often talk about you know tony and i or or just even people in the sport we talk about this era of what's shaping up to be a, an incredible kind of time frame for top fuel drag racing and the talent level and the expectation level on these drivers where the cars have become in many ways the great cars have become very tightly grouped so i think this is the first time in a couple of decades where we really spend a lot more time looking at who is in the seat and what they're doing in the seat than maybe who's turning the wrenches i think there was a period of top fuel racing where the crew chief was almost the bigger star than the driver but at this point in time if you are not a guy that can be 49 or 50 or 45 or 30 the chances of you winning anything anymore is slim. And that's really never been the case in this class until now.
1: Yeah. The competition level is off the charts. Like you, uh, you really can't pay attention to anyone in the other lane because if a thought like that crosses your mind, you're already done. Um, you got Justin Ashley, who's a consistent like 30, 40 light, yeah. you know, it's, he's deadly, you know? So, um, The crew chiefs are definitely still the kings of the sport. they got to make the thing go to A to B, but um, the drivers now have to be just as equally sharp.
0: They really do. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, we start stacking people up, and, and obviously it's like any sport. You look at statistics, you look at this, that, and the other thing. But there's one thing we can't measure, and, and that is the space between people's ears. You know, we can see what the result of of them approaching a situation is, but we can't measure what's going on kind of in their mind. And we've heard everything from drivers say, oh, I, I need to kind of blank my brain out. We've heard other drivers say, I need to be amped up to the moon to really do this the right way. I'm guessing with your personality type, you're somewhere in the middle of that. I I can't see you as a guy that goes up there with a blank mind, and I also can't see you as a guy that goes up there trying to bounce your way out of the belt. So what what is that process for you, and where is your head when that car goes into fully staged? (laughs) <laughs> well, as
1: soon as I start the car I got like some Motley Crue playing in okay. the green. you know the kickstart my yeah. song and that, that kicks off <laughs> so then you do your crazy burnout and then you're like okay just pay attention and you go up to the first light and for some reason it does go just about completely blank I, I will admit that my mess up in Gainesville I was thinking about invoices <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what, what was going on, but I was like, "Hey, you just want eighty grand," and then everybody's like, "Can I get a loan?" You know, all this <laughs> other kind of stuff, and you you go into the first light, and you are like, "Wait a minute, this race is going to cost you one hundred and fifty grand." <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I guess I better go. <laughs> so no, it it's all good. It just you, you got to focus, and um, you, you really have to just not blink. You know, that's that's what I tell myself: don't blink, yeah. don't blink. You know, and when you got a guy like Torrance or, or even Brittany force was capable of sitting there flickering the bulb. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you, you got to just pay attention. Don't blink.
0: Where was your head back in the a fuel days? Was at it was it the same place or is this a process you've kind of developed over time? You know, cause you were obviously a very strong racer in a fuel won a lot of events in, in, in that class. Was it the same? Was it the same headspace then? Or is this like a refined process?
1: Oh, 100% a fuel was was a lot of fun you know um, if you raced somebody even that you maybe weren't a hundred percent cool with you still talked to them in the pits and everybody was friendly and it, you know it was it was basically a weekend getaway yeah you know this is different <laughs> much much different <laughs> you know you' are uh, you got people that'll send proposals to your crew chiefs and send proposals to your your sponsors right? right as they're smiling and, and yeah. telling you your friends, you know. So um, I didn't look at it that way, and I've said that a hundred times. Yeah. But, you know, the first year for me, I just went out and had fun and looked at what the results were. Then the second year, I was like, all right, there's a big dose of reality.
0: Well, and that to me is the most interesting part of your story, honestly, is that it's not often we get somebody that talks about the the social – or kind of behind the scene dynamic as being their toughest piece of adjustment, right? We often hear about people that struggle with getting in the car and it's car control or it's understanding that this thing that this thing is not like anything they've ever driven before or they've, they're not able to find that headspace you are on the starting line. But for you, that's the most fascinating part of your story to me is that it's nothing to do with the race car. It's nothing to do with the process of driving the race car. It's that stuff all around it which is the majority of this stuff you got to deal with
1: a hundred percent when when we were campaigning for rookie of the year i never thought that i would ever campaign for anything in a race car <laughs> right, right you know yeah and and you know then you start seeing everybody's true colors you're like well wait a minute he didn't build his team i built this team you know and you start yep. and, and it's just the, the way it was all stacking up i was like i don't know that i want to do this because it was getting kind of ugly you know and as you as you progress into year two, you got you know the owner of Arnold Carriers calls me and he says you don't ever have to worry about people you know taking your sponsor from us. We want you to just go out and represent the company and our relationship is different than that. And we want you to have fun, you know. And that was just immediate serenity for me. That had been you know, huge.
0: Yeah, that had to have been huge.
1: They're like you know yes, we've seen proposals. Yes, people are going to try, but. It, it, you know that's that's the type of person you want to partner with.
0: Oh, absolutely. Literally. You
1: know, so and uh, so that that was a big you know stake in the game. But then I heard you know people were sending proposals to Ron Douglas, or they're trying to trying to get some of our crew guys. We had we had one guy literally walk into one of our pits right in front of me and try to solicit crew guys
0: <laughs> right in front of you.
1: <laughs> yeah, Jeez. yeah, and I, I I'm like, wow. Do I pay good? Do I not pay enough? Do I do I have health insurance? Do I not? You know? Yeah. What do I need to do? And so for me, it really was an educational process behind the scenes. And that's that's what I'm good at is business. So I said, okay, we're going to pay higher than everybody else. We're going to give them whatever they want, but we're going to expect top of the line results so yeah. that they don't have to worry about any of this other stuff.
0: What is the thing over the last, say, three years, what is the thing that that you've you've become more comfortable with that you never thought you would. Like, what is one of the things you really had to force yourself to do over the last couple of years? And even if you don't enjoy it now, you know that you're better at doing it now.
1: Talking to you, yeah. talking to yeah. Amanda Music, talking yeah. to Joe. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I, it, it's not that I was arrogant or, or you know, I was just I was just shy. You know, and I, yeah. and then I was absolutely terrified that I was going to say the wrong thing because of my first season. You know, everything in this sport kind of gets blown out of context. Yeah. And, uh,
0: sorry about that. You know, that's, so, our, that's our fault.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I, I just stay to myself. I don't, I don't, I don't need any more friends. You know, I, I do my own thing. And, um, my, my adopted dad says that all the time. You know, I don't need any more friends. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if, if we can all get along, that's great. But, well, look, That's I think I was
0: there's a great strength. And uh, listen, for uh, I think a lot of us in this sport, when you get to a level, whether it's to be a professional race car driver or to be a broadcaster, um, you, know, you know, I'm not inserting myself into your shoes here, but for me the adjustment was, you know, you go from being the announcer and you do this stuff at the event and you bounce around to this event and everybody's your pal and everybody's your friend. They slap you on the ass and they're going to see you next week. Well, then you do your first show and you find out that half of America thinks you suck. <laughs> and they have no problem telling you that. And it it killed me for a while. It was a really tough thing to adjust to. And so I, I 100% respect that about you in and that, in that this was this was something that almost came out of the sky at you that you didn't see coming. As many of the things as you, you did see coming on the business side, this was not something you saw coming.
1: No. no, and I mean, even the stuff that we literally just went through, you know, with Torrance and with and yeah. like yeah. – i'd be lying if i said it didn't bother me but i didn't read it right i i I faced it head-on like i would in business i called steve torrance i called sean langdon and i said listen and and we we had a great conversation it was all good yeah you know so you just got to face the facts you know we will see each other every weekend yep Yep. (laughs) yeah that that we're racing so do you want to make it like a a thing or do you, do you want to just squash it like a bug and move on you know
0: yeah and that's not to say that the competitive side of you or any of those guys goes away it's not to say that it diminishes any of that but what it does do at least in my own mind uh what it would do for me anyway is to understand that hey this guy's not gonna you know in a, in a he's not gonna walk by the pit area and, and throw uh some gum you know he's not gonna throw shoot chewed up gum yeah. at me you know it's just it's it's gonna go from being a schoolyard thing to a, a professional racing endeavor
1: yeah, I mean, we. I think Steve and I both got double balled by Tony in the first round, and we both got double balled by Austin yeah. in the final round. So it's like, if we're really going to talk about playing games, yeah. And and does it even matter? We're supposed to be world class drivers, you know. At the at the height of our game, yes. you're you're supposed to be the best of the best. So who cares? Yeah, do whatever you got to do, man. I'm gonna run my own race.
0: Yeah, I say it a lot. Um, I, I say that the you know the 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 job title is professional drag racer. And the first word of that is the defining word of it. And (laughs) to to your point, it's like, and that's why, you know, we're going to treat you like professionals uh, on our broadcast and and we're going to expect professional level results out of you and all that type of stuff to your point. Exactly. And listen, all these, we had a billion conversations at dinner and everywhere else over the last couple of weeks on this whole staging stuff and four wide. But at the end of the day, the only way you really control that process or try to control that process is being the first to double bulb everybody after that. Cause right after that, everybody else is along for the ride.
1: Exactly right. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, man. It's, it's been fascinating. It's, it's a fascinating process and, and not only watching your car evolve, watching you and your career evolve. Now we go back to two wide racing. Everybody can kind of take a deep breath and we can go back to the old school, only making one person mad at us instead of three at a time. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> well, Josh, uh, I know you're looking forward to Chicago. So aren't we, um, I'm guessing there's going to be a great uh, RNL presence there. You guys do such a great job with your hospitality and having a lot of visitors out. So I'm sure it's going to be a good opportunity for that as well. Yes, sir. Thank you. He's the driver of the RNL Carriers TechNet Top Fueler, Josh Hart. Great window into his personality, into his career. And when we come back, it'll be Del Worsham, our second guest on this show. Stay with us. And we are back with our second guest here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. He is the crew chief working with Nikki Bonifani on the Bandero Premium Tequila GR Supra. Del Worsham, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks, Brian. Looks like the only thing that can slow you down at this point is the common cold, Del.
2: <laughs> it, it has man. I, it's not it's not even so much a cold. It's like I have this cough. It's just it's just annoying, man. I just like keep coughing and I can't seem to beat it. But no, it's I feel good though.
0: I'll tell you what you should. Uh, we look at what the car has uh, accomplished so far this season. I mean, you guys won the first too fast, too tasty deal. You're second in the points right now. Number two qualifier, three out of five races. I mean, all this thing is really coming together nicely for you.
2: It it, it definitely is. Uh,
0: probably you
2: know I've. I've, I've been kind of looking back at, at, at how this whole thing progressed, and I would say probably like last fall it started coming together. And by the time we we, we, we made it to Las Vegas two last year, we were putting out some great runs. And then the finals uh, the finals last year against Cruz Pedregon was off the semifinals, which is another great race. And this year, just pick, they just picked right up.
0: You know, I was going to ask you that if this was a culmination of things that started a year ago, or if this was one of those off season discoveries you made, but it certainly sounds to me like this has been a tune up that's evolved itself into what we're looking at today.
2: Yeah, yeah. We kind of started working on this tune-up after Indy last year. At, uh, we left Indy thinking maybe our car wasn't fast enough, made some changes, and just kind of started working our way through it. And um, as the year went on and, and, and as last year finished up, you could tell it was definitely running better and it yep. was doing easier and we're starting to put together some great runs. And this year, uh, this year we, we kind of started testing with, with, with a whole different setup, a different car, a different combination. And it, it just wasn't showing us the promise right then that we wanted. So we got last year's car right out, went right to Gainesville with it, and bam, it's, it picked up right where it left off.
0: And that's kind of a veteran decision, right? Does Does Del Worsham ten years ago make that decision, or do you try to beat your head uh, against the wall for a while to figure it out, right? That That's kind of a grown up. That's a grown up decision you guys made.
2: It, it, it was, and it's definitely a lot different than, than like a decision I would have made definitely in two thousand. Uh, <laughs> I, I I I told the guys in two thousand. I left Brainerd in, in, in two thousand. Uh, with my dad with Checker Sharks Craig and we got beaten in the semis on a whole shot we qualified the the end one or two like we were just at the top of our game and Rob Flynn was working with us and we proceeded to go to Indian St. Louis and test and change the entire car and basically it took us it took us a year to get it back but, but, but by March of 2001 you know was, we were back in a position where we could win again
0: it is amazing and uh, those are the those are the hard lessons to learn but you can apply them you know down the road I want to talk a little bit about Charlotte and, you know, the performance we saw at Charlotte overall, this was the, to me, kind of the highest performance race we've seen. Yeah, the bump spots or rather the number one qualifying numbers are about the same across the board. But as a whole, we look at the funny car field. I think the top nine or 10 cars were all in the 80s. Was that simply a function of conditions or was the racetrack tighter, a.k.a. sprayed more than it has been?
2: oh well i mean part of it is is definitely our conditions you know and and the track was prepped well and when, when you're racing floor wide and they spray the same amount of times and half the cars are run on the lanes because because you know you, you sure. only get so so the glue sticks around longer and lasts longer and, and 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 there's more of it and that definitely helps but that track is also phenomenal that track is so good you know there aren't any big bumps in it i think stays hooked up the whole way it's smooth um that helps. And then, and then to top it off we're five races in and everybody's, everybody's kind of getting their ups kind of dialed in, you know, uh, it's just it. It seems like every week, you know, you know, you know, somebody new or somebody different could be in the final. Can be in the final, and uh, it's it's a tough class.
0: Yeah, it really is. And you know, the performance your car had eighty five in the first round, eighty eight in the second round, eighty seven in the third round. I mean, that's yeah. that's the type of stuff I would I would I would imagine that's the type of stuff crew chiefs go to bed dreaming about. You know, being able yeah. to get this thing within a, a window of really less than three hundredths of a second is wild.
2: It's pretty amazing, yeah. And then, and then, top it off, I ran eighty-seven qualifying. So, it's uh, it's definitely coming around. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to lie. It's it's you know little you know little by little you just start stringing runs together and picking away at it. And once you start stringing a bunch of runs together, good things seem to happen. And uh, it seems like that's kind of what's going on for us right now.
0: As far as your off season and coming into twenty-three, did you have any personnel changes, or is it all the same faces on that car? Uh
2: yeah, we we, 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 we actually did have a couple personnel okay. changes. Yeah. Um, uh, we, you know, a couple of guys left, we added a couple of new ones. We kind of moved some guys around to different positions. So going into games, well, I was a little nervous because the guy that usually does the heads, you know, is building motors and the guy that usually does the clutches doing the heads and everybody kind of wanted new jobs, but they, uh, they're a good group of guys that really work well together and they work hard and they, and they help each other out. So nobody really got hung out to dry, but yeah, changing the jobs makes me nervous, but to keep guys around and keep them excited and and, and, and keep everybody motivated. Once in a while, you just have to kind of make changes.
0: Yeah, no, I think it makes a lot of sense, and and obviously, I think that motivation continues to carry itself when when you're going rounds at every race. You know, you've been you've been you've not lost in the first round all season long. You know, you've made obviously the final quad uh, at Charlotte. You've been deep in the rounds pretty much everywhere. A couple of semifinals as well, and that's got to be also great motivation, especially for those newer guys, kind of building the confidence level that they're doing their jobs correctly.
2: Yeah, no, they they like they, they got a small taste of what it's like to you know to to do well and win some rounds. And uh, when 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 I called back to the shop, I came home after Charlotte, and when I called the shop on Tuesday morning, they, they had the car done, service cleaned up, and a new engine ready to go in it, and they were already on the other stuff. So there's definitely I can see the motivation and excitement in the team right now, and uh, I can see it in Alexis, you know, she got some good rounds underneath yes. her, and and. Uh, that, that'll help her with her confidence so hopefully when we get back in the final round again you know each time we'll be a little more aggressive and just a little bit better
0: and look the reality is in the final round of that race she was 82 she was right there where she needed to be and Robert was just you know Robert was Robert he, he came out of not necessarily nowhere but he goes 50 something on the tree and and obviously yeah. that's just a that's that is a very difficult thing to, to, to stand up against but she was right there i mean she was she was performance wise for herself in the seat where she needed to be and it was almost a coin flip at the finish line
2: yeah no she did she did great in the final round there that was that was tough man she's up against you know three of the other best drivers out there and uh, and she held it together it's four wide there's lights everywhere there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of racers up there um she doesn't want to let all of us down and we definitely don't want to see her fail so yeah she went up and held it together did 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 what i thought was at that day you know for that round that was a great run for her she did really really good and next time you know if we get another final round i suspect she'll probably do better
0: Let's talk a little bit about the Too Fast, Too Tasty program because you guys have made uh, you guys have made a, a habit out of this thing, and it's one of these these deals where it's like it's fun in the front side of it, yeah, some extra money and stuff like that. But you guys have done a really nice job of adding post countdown points to your tally. It's been pretty impressive.
2: That's just a huge bonus for us, you know. Uh, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how that whole thing was going to work out or play out for us because having to race and qualify at the same time yeah. doesn't always work out the best. You know, we've we've done it for years with with uh, with the different shootouts at Indy, and sometimes you know it's helped us, and other times it's, it's been a little bit of a hindrance. But it appears so far, it's worked out really well, and it's given us you know it it just gives you a little more excitement on Saturday, oh, yeah, for everybody in the fans and and even, and even us. And then to, to earn those points at the backside is gonna could could be the difference you just never know
0: yeah it's going to be when we get to that moment where we're going to tally them all up I think that's going to be a kind of an eye opener for a lot of people where it's like oh man you know there would be people in theory that could move a position you know start a position higher or lower uh, than they otherwise would have when we get those things all tallied up after Indy. Uh, We are headed to Chicago next. This is a great racetrack. You know, it's people have kind of wondered about the surface. And what I've told people is, listen, they ran that divisional there last year. The alcohol cars fared very well on a racetrack that didn't have have a lot of traffic. I know NHRA is already there working on the facility and working on the surface itself this is a fast racetrack if the conditions present itself correctly
2: it definitely is and it's my it's my favorite race on the whole on the the whole circuit for sure uh i've won this race personally many times um in in the funny car with my dad so yeah no it's a great facility it's huge it's well taken care of it's manicured when you pull in there man you're just like the super facility (laughs) that's cleaned up and it looks great and it's just it, it presents itself very well and 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 it's obviously fast i mean there's just been some huge runs made there so i'm really 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 looking forward to going there this year
0: if you look down kind of down the road a little bit to when we get to the say warmer weather months or even you know challenging tracks like bristol which you guys have have been successful at uh what are the key things that are built into the tune-up you have right now that you're going to be able to translate into those differing conditions when it's not necessarily a 385 387 weekend how does this tune-up kind of evolve into those months
2: well, it, it it seems so far that it doesn't take it doesn't take a whole lot of moves to have it slow down as slow as like a three ninety six and then speed it up all the way, all the way to a three eighty five. Okay. So so if we're, if we're sitting around and, and conditions are coming to us or they're going away from us, I think we can make the changes pretty fast that we need to to hopefully keep up the competition and, or make them stay ahead. So that's that's the biggest thing I notice right now about the tune-up is it doesn't take a whole lot to make it do what you want.
0: I had a guy a few weeks ago I was talking to in the pits, and he made an observation, which is something I wasn't – I never really thought of it this way, and I'm interested in your perspective. And what he was saying was having a good spring – Part of the season effectively sets you up for a good fall, and if you struggle in the spring, you're almost guaranteed to be in trouble when we get to those fall months. Um, and he was saying even even testing doesn't necessarily help you as much as putting together good early races to then translate to the later races. Do you believe in that kind of beginning and end theory, or do you really treat each section of the season differently?
2: Well, I think, I think, I mean, I guess you could put a little bit behind that, but really, really it's just momentum, you know, kind of like how you go into the countdown and yeah. you can have a really, really, really strong first part of the year and, and fall apart in the summer and get yeah. to Indy and have it and just have it not go together. Or you can kind of, you can kind of stumble along and all of a sudden, you know, in the summer put it together and, <laughs> yeah. and come out. Win. I mean, I saw, I, I think Robert Isaac, he's won from the 10th spot. He the did. He,
0: yeah. He so, went from 10th. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so it's definitely possible, but, um, I mean, really, really, just momentum and knowing where you are. And, and a lot of it's matchups, you know, you just need to get some decent matchups to kind of go your way. And hopefully, you know, every time you get to the final round, a guy doesn't cut a 40 or 50 light, or
0: maybe, <laughs> maybe <laughs> once in a while it's your
2: card that doesn't. So it's going to come down to matchups yeah. in the end and uh, consistency and. And confidence. I think. I think confidence in the crew chief and the drivers.
0: When we get past Chicago, uh, really, when June starts, is when the season to me kind of really kicks into high gear. We have a very busy June. Obviously, Western cool. swing through July, August ends in Indy, September. I mean, these the real meat of the order is is coming up. And you know, what do you do? We, we got two weeks here. I know a lot of people are zipping off with the family, taking some time. Are you doing anything before the uh, before the, the the rubber really hits the fan here when we get to June?
2: I am doing a little bit of remodeling on one of the bathrooms at my house. Oh, that's uh, relaxing. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 for my daughters. But we 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 actually had a test session planned for the Tuesday before Chicago that that we were gonna start working on some of that stuff we were working on in in uh, preseason. And with as well as the cars running, I decided, you know what, let's go ahead, let's 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 cancel this test session and just get all of our parts and all of our ducks in order. Let's say and uh, make sure that come June we have everything we need and we're in we're positioned to hopefully hopefully do well.
0: Makes sense. Last question yeah. on the logistical on the logistical front of things how are how is the acquiring of parts have you guys acclimated to longer lead times or have those leads times shrunk down I'm, I'm interested as to obviously it got real bad for a long time and and has any of that relieved itself
2: well we're we're kind of still on the on, under the assumption that we need huge lead time so yeah. basically you know you know I, I try to get all the parts ordered at least four or five months in advance so yeah. we're getting ready to order our we're getting ready to order the parts that we think we're gonna need for the countdown right now wow so so ourselves as a team and and being together now for four years and how our team built to where it is we're able to kind of to kind of get ahead of it a little bit but i think uh i think if you had to have something in a hurry uh the vendors would probably work work, work with you a little bit but but no we're definitely we're definitely setting up right now for september
0: Certainly, better to be cautious than uh, than be making last minute phone calls. I'd have to imagine. <laughs> For sure, no, absolutely. Well, man, congratulations on the early season success so so far. It's been a lot of fun to watch, and that car is one of those cars we always kind of now lean forward and pay attention to just because. Effectively, you've, you've proven that it's going down the racetrack and Alexis has stepped up more often than she hasn't to deliver round wins. So congratulations on the number two so far. And you're only a handful of round wins out of leading the points, which would be, uh, I don't think Alexis has ever led the points in her career and she's almost one good race away from doing it.
2: Yeah, that's it's pretty, you know, but I saw the points and I saw the word, what maybe three runs out of yep. first place. And the guy who's in first has won three of them. Yeah. So, uh, so that just tells you that, 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 that consistency and just just, just keep winning rounds anyway, it will pay off in the end. And uh, I really, really, really want to see the Badass Tequila car in the final round, or in the winner's circle here shortly, and hopefully uh, hopefully, she can pull that
0: off. The math says you will, man. You guys have been chipping at it. Del Worsham, thanks for cool. taking the time today. Enjoy the bathroom remodeling project and uh, we'll see you in Chicago. Alright, thanks Brian. And I'll be back with some final thoughts right after this. Was a great conversation both with Josh Hart and with Dell Worsham talking about the success they've had so far this season for Josh Hart. It's been a little bit later coming, of course, than I think he would have loved, but he's got it now, and that car proved itself in Charlotte that it is all the bit. Capable of winning races, and we'll see down the stretch winning a championship, and as we talked about with Dell, what is there not to say about the performance of the Bandera Premium Tequila Toyota so far this year? It is number two in the points, and as he mentioned, the guy leading the points has won three races. They've not won a race yet, but they have won a lot of rounds, and they have done it in the world of consistency. So we got a couple of weeks off here, so next week we'll grab some more drivers, some more crew chiefs, have some more conversations, and this weekend I'm actually headed to an interesting event. It is a mashup for the first time ever. It is going to be Cletus and Cars teaming up with the NHRA. So if you're unfamiliar with Cletus McFarlane, he is among the, if not the single biggest automotive influencer on the internet. He has 3.1 million subscribers on YouTube. He has followers in the millions across multiple social media platforms. He owns a racetrack in Florida called the Freedom Factory, which is a circuit track, and he puts on a series of events called Cletus and Cars at tracks around the country streetcar drag racing burnout contest and they run these kind of stock car races with modified Crown Victorias and they put social media influencers in them and you know famous kind of car guys and girls in these things and go out there and let them rip on the racetrack. So I'm actually going to Indy to announce this event and the reason I'm primarily going there is because the NHRA has teamed up with Cletus and so this will be a regional event for Top Alcohol Funny Car and Dragster along with the Cletus and Cars event. Why is this so cool? Well it's so cool because This will introduce um, thousands and I'm talking thousands and thousands of, of young hot rodders, young gearheads, young drag racing enthusiasts to nitromethane to 280 mile an hour race cars and to a form of drag racing they may have never experienced before. It is a great way to get Cletus's traditional audience. In front of these cool cars, that NHRA superstars uh, running in the the top alcohol, funny car, and dragster categories will be there. Mick Steele is going to debut his injected nitro-burning funny car there. He's been testing down at Bowling Green. Tony Stewart's running the race. Jasmine Salinas running the race. All major league hitters will be there. And so... I'm excited to be a part of it, one, because these events are hellacious fun. If you've never seen or heard of a Cletus and Cars event, go to YouTube and look them up. Um, The Freedom 800 is going to be Sunday evening. The drag racing action is Saturday with early qualifying. First round implications on, or first round, I should say, eliminations on Saturday afternoon. Then we'll finish eliminations on Sunday before we literally move over to the circle track at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park for the Freedom 800 which is the race where the Crown Victorias, each with a nitrous bottle in them, compete on the oval track. And uh, Vice Grip Garage, a bunch of other really big-name YouTubers will be over there and social media influencers competing. Can't wait to do it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Be a little irreverent. There's a burnout contest, and me and Kalitos will be calling that. be working with a dude named Jake calling the stock car race, and I'll handle the drag racing duties by myself. So if you're around Indianapolis this weekend or you're within a couple hours' drive, I would recommend coming to Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park because you're not going to want to miss this. Thousands of tickets have already been sold. You can get in on the fun. I'll be there as well don't let that keep you away. Thanks for listening or watching to this episode of the NHRA Insider. If you're checking it out on NHRA.tv, thank you. If you're checking it out on any of our various podcast platforms, I thank you as well. And once again, thanks to Josh and Dell for taking their time today. We'll be back next week with another show. We got a couple weeks before Chicago. Dell's remodeling a bathroom. I'm going to Indy. Josh is probably selling classic cars. What are you doing? We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.